0: Amen. So, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. While I was laying in bed up there, the Lord began to deal with me about some things. and I can tell you this, that the whole time that I was in there, I had peace. There was never—I never had any fear. I didn't really know what was going on, but I just had a peace— come over me. And I realized, I thought, you know, I can't produce this on my own. This is this has got to be coming from God. And so, God wants us to be at peace. Everybody say, be at peace. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes, starting with chapter 3 and verse 1, Solomon is writing this, and Solomon reflects. And as you read his writing, especially Ecclesiastes, you come to a conclusion. It's almost like he's questioning everything and he begins to think, well, you know, he, he makes a statement. He said, vanity is a vanity. Say, the preacher, all is vanity. And so, he begins to feel like everything is a big emptiness or a big nothingness or, or what's the point. But having read this and I started looking at this and I came to a different conclusion. And I'll share with you my conclusion after I read this today. Starting with verse 1. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word because it's life. God, we ask you to speak to us through this, and Father, help to communicate to us, God, those things that you have spoken and declared for us. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I looked at this and I began to read this scripture, I noticed a pattern begin to form. Did you pick up on the pattern here? That the writer is talking about that there's always something good and there's always something bad. So, he goes through the whole thing, and he, and he contrasts one to the other. He came to a conclusion that, you know, that, that is pointless, but my conclusion was different. My conclusion was this, that you're not going to get through life without experiencing both good and bad. And how you react to what your experience is is going to either make you or break you. So, everybody say Our response. So I want to speak to you for a little while today on a quiet time. Everybody say quiet time. How many of you love it just to sometimes to just set out and, in the yard, you know, and, and just an evening and it's a quiet time? You know, I did, I, when I was a kid, we lived up in Chicago, and there wasn't a whole lot of quiet up there, but we, we lived up there. And when we, we used to come down here to visit, and I remember, you know, I lived before video games. You know, I remember the first video game that came out was called Pong. And it was, it was a white line and a white dot, and you were hitting them. And it was such great fun. And so that was, but when we came down here, there, you know, they, my grandparents didn't watch a lot of television, so we didn't set up in the house and watch television. We would set out in the yard and talk and shuck corn or whole peas or, man, I got, I got some sore thumbs shelling purple whole peas and and snapping green beans, and and I remember in that, and I remember the adults around me at that time, and I remember about communicating. And one of the things that it seems like that's become a lost art in the day and the time that we live in is communicating with one another. We're always texting each other on the phone, or even, you know, I see people in restaurants texting across the table, and I'm thinking, wouldn't it just be a lot simpler just to speak? Just to, but see, we we lose an art of communication, and it's so important that we learn how to communicate, and we begin to value quiet time. I mean, there are some times that you just want to get away from it all, you know, and maybe if you would hit that first one, you know, where we go up, make sure we got sound on this mic, where we go. Just take a nice, quiet trip. get away from all the hubbub and go downtown and just look around. And I've had about all that I can stand You go ahead and shut it off. So sometimes that what, that's what life gets like. And if you're not careful, and that can even get into our church life, If you're not careful, we become so busy doing the work of God that we forget about the God we're working for, and we're just going through the motions and doing you know, and trying to make it happen, and, you know, what's the next big event, and what's the—and every once in a while, you just need to take a breath. You just need to stop and hit that next one, rise above it all. Just take a moment to Breathe. To look around and enjoy what your God has made. To stop and consider and and just disconnect and relax. Everybody say quiet time. And this becomes so important to us. The question is that sometimes we have we, we have to learn how to navigate challenges right you're going to have good and bad happen in your life and if, if you don't learn how to navigate that then it's always going to dictate to you and you're going to find yourself always in turmoil or always upset or always anxiety or or always you know that's why i you know what i did during this whole time i i was away i didn't i didn't look at any news i didn't listen to any news And it was all good news to me (laughs) because I didn't realize just how upset you can get just reading headlines, just looking at stuff that's going on in the world. And I know we can't put our head in the sand, but every once in a while we need to lift our faces toward heaven and just focus on him instead of everything that's going on around us and experience that quiet time. Here's one way that helps us to be able to have some quiet time and deal with challenges. It's found in James, the first chapter, 19th verse. He said, So then, my beloved children, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The Amplified says it this way it breaks it down a little bit more and it says, Understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to hear. Be a careful, thoughtful listener. Slow to speak. A speaker of carefully chosen words. And slow to anger. Patient, reflective, and forgiving. Just that one phrase, that that one life lesson can cause peace to dominate your world. Swift. To hear. How many of you have ever found yourself where somebody was talking to you and you were, you, you, you were ready to talk, I mean, before they even got done? Anybody in here? You know what I'm talking about? Let's be honest with each other. There have been times that I've, I've, had, I've been talking to people and the whole time I was talking to them, I was praying, God, help me keep my mouth shut. God, help me not to say anything right now. To listen, help me to listen. Well, why did you have to do that? Because I'd never practiced that. You know, it was always, you know, I I could figure out what was wrong with you before you were halfway through your sentence telling me what was wrong with you. And so we, you know, we're quick to speak, but we're supposed to be quick to hear. And so when we fully listen and we listen carefully, in other words, when you're listening to a person, try and figure out why they feel the way they feel. Even if what they feel is wrong, you still need to care enough and love enough to try and figure out why they feel that way. I know this is going to be hard for some of you to believe, but, you know, there there were folks that came in here. They don't feel this way now, but when they first came in, they felt like I, you know, that that I, I wasn't warm and cuddly and... I mean, I just thought that I was a big teddy bear all this time, you know? But, but there were people that had, had trouble approaching me because of, I, I don't know if it was my demeanor or what it was, but sometimes we have to remember to create an atmosphere where people feel like you're approachable. Everybody say approachable. And so I had to learn how to try and deal with that part of me that seemed unapproachable, and to try and and you know tweak you know my facial expressions or whatever. So every once in a while, you need to look in the mirror and just practice. (laughs) So when we we get to the part of listening, then when you speak, you you don't speak in confrontation. And that's hard not to do when you feel like you've been confronted. It's hard when somebody is yelling at you to speak softly and to speak kindly. But you you have to understand this is that the devil is trying to trigger you. And that the devil can find your triggers. He's going to continue to hit on them to keep you upset instead of at peace. And so I thought, okay, I've got to learn how to be more at peace and not allow a trigger response, but rather to stop and think and and give a soft answer because a soft answer turns away wrath. And I'm just going to be very upfront and honest with you. I haven't always been successful with that. I've had people that have triggered me and it's like, you better be praying and thanking God I'm saved right now. (laughs) So it's it's learning how to reel in yourself and let God have control. Everybody say let God have control. And he said slow to wrath. How many of you have ever gotten mad? Were you justified in your I mean we were justified, right? I was mad for a reason. They messed up my order at McDonald's. I told them I wanted extra Done Well, I told him I wanted well-done French fries. I pulled out that driveway and they gave me limp, soggy French fries. I was already on the, boy, I had five minutes to spare. Over a limp French fry. Think about it. It's, it's not worth it, is it? So sometimes we're allowing the devil to trigger us over things that aren't even worth being triggered for. Everybody say the quiet place. Now listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 30 and verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. He's writing to Israel and he's saying, listen, he said, the only only hope of your salvation is in returning to me and resting in me. He said, it's in quietness and and confidence that you have peace. And so what he's saying is, you've got to have confidence that God's able to take care of the situation. Amen? How many of you have ever been, found yourself in a place where you had something going on and you were struggling releasing it to God and giving it completely to him? We would say it verbally, but we were holding it emotionally. And so it kept us worked up. It kept us tore up. We couldn't find peace and we couldn't find rest. I'm telling you, man, this past week God showed me some things and he talked to me about guarding your peace and creating that quiet place. And I recognize that through this whole ordeal, there there was never a time that I feared in this and never a time that I didn't trust God in this, so I was at peace. But I recognized this peace isn't coming for me because this doesn't make any sense. I don't know what's going on. I'm hearing all this talk, but there's a peace inside of me that passes understanding. And in that moment, I begin to recognize that when he talks about a peace that passes understanding, that's not a play on words. That's something that he tangibly and physically does when you begin to open up your heart and ask him in. He said it's in that quietness and confidence that you find strength. But you're wore out if you let the devil keep you in turmoil. How many of you have ever been there? Just the devil keeping you in turmoil. So we're talking about a quiet place today. Listen to what Exodus says, Exodus 14 and 14. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Wow. Just stay calm. But he cut me off. I was just driving up there to wish him a good day. Stay calm. How how many of you have ever found yourself going from calm to chaos that quick? You know what I'm talking about? You're just as smooth and and as peaceful as you can be. And all of a sudden, somebody says something or something happens. And, buddy, Katie, bar the door because you're about to come apart. And everything escalates. And the next thing you know, man, there's a fire raging inside of you. And you don't know how to put it out. Do you know the way to put that out? Don't let it get started to begin with. (laughs) So, think about it this way that every situation that we encounter, every circumstance that we face, every life lesson that comes our way, we're carrying two buckets. One of those buckets contains water, and the other's got gasoline in it. And whichever one you decide to throw on the situation is either going to put it out or blow it up. Everybody say, blow it up. Man, sometimes, I mean, we can't wait to blow it up. We become so attuned to blowing things up, we could have our own demolition crew. Because as soon as something happens, when we hear something, when we're told something, when we, we experience something, blow up. I was uh, burning some leaves sometime back several years ago, as a matter of fact, and I'd raked all those leaves up in a long line. And I'd set them on fire, and they'd burnt for a little while, but then they'd quit burning, and they were just smoldering, just smoking, no fire. How many of you have ever heard that term, where there's smoke, there's fire? There's a lot of truth to that. I found that out the wrong way. What I did was I went and got me a can of gas, and I started walking through there, pouring gas, on those leaves. And all of a sudden I found a live ember (laughs) and that thing went, and man, I got a gas can that's leaking. And when when it ignited, I started running. Well, it's following me, man, and I'm running. And I finally take that gas can and threw the thing out of my hand because I thought, man, I'm fixing to get it blown up here. And it was all my own doing. I'm the one that had laid everything on there for it to blow up. Do you understand that when you just keep suppressing things and you let it build and you let it build and you let it build, then when the blow-up comes, you're the one that set off the bomb. But if you decide, you know what, I'm going to trust God. I've got confidence in him. And devil, you can't have my peace. And so, God, I'm just going to bring this to you right now and trust you with it. God will fight your battles. Just keep calm. How many of you have ever tried to calm down someone before that, was, that had already gotten beyond the point? You know, you know what that's like, you know, trying to calm down. Do you ever try and calm down a child that all of a sudden, I mean, it's just, you know, they, they've already worked themselves up into a frenzy, and now you're trying to calm them down, and, and they're crying, and now they don't even know why they're crying because the situation's over. But they're still crying, and they're, it's because they, they took themselves to such a place of anxiety that they're having trouble coming back off of it. So what God is telling us is, look, you need to let me be your peace. You need to let me be your confidence, and if you do that, then you're not going to struggle with these things. The Scripture says in Isaiah 26 and 3, you will keep in perfect peace All who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. We read that, but do we really understand that? You will keep him in perfect peace. All who what? All who trust you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So let me ask a question. Have you ever found yourself in turmoil? Wave your hand if you've ever been in turmoil. Okay, now according to this, if I'm in turmoil, then I know that I'm not trusting him, and I know my thoughts are not fixed on him. And that's not a good place to be as a believer. Everybody say, without faith, it's impossible to believe and it's impossible to please him. So we have to have faith. See, a lot of times we talk about, oh, I believe, but our life doesn't show it. Our actions don't show it. Because even though we profess, we believe, we still respond like an unbeliever. And so this became a life lesson for me. And I thought, now, wait a minute, man. If, I, if, I, if something has got me worked up, then I need to back up and get to the point, now, God, I'm not trusting you and my thoughts aren't fixed on you. So what I choose to do right now is let go of the thoughts that are making me upset and begin to think on your goodness and your grace and how you've delivered me through so many things before. And if you did it once, you're gonna do it again. It's going to be all right. Years ago when we were driving our Frito-Lay truck down the road evangelizing, we had a, the, the drive shaft broke. And so we're, we're, we're in the middle of between Mississippi and uh, ten, man, I, I'm about 50 miles from where I had been evangelizing and I'm broke down on the side of the road. And I, th- there's nothing I can do to fix it. And I, I could have gotten upset, but I turned around and looked at Debbie and, and I, I just started singing. I won't, I'll spare you that. But I, I started singing a song, said, he'll do it again. Yes, he will. He'll do it again. Just take a look at where you are now and where you have been. Hasn't he always come through for you? He's the same now as then. You may not know how. You may not know when, but he'll do it again. And I, and I, I, I made a phone call. I said, look, he, I don't know how he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And I called where I'd been in revival. They sent a uh, wrecker out and hooked up to my motor home. And then they started trying to find a part to fix it all the way back to where we came from. So for 50 miles, he's stopping at every parts place he can find to see if he can fix it. He can't fix it. We get back to the motor or back to Mississippi. I unhooked the car. He said, just leave the motor home here. Take your car with you. And all the way, I'm I'm, I'm fighting that anxiety trying to come up in me. And I'm thinking, man, he just towed me 50 miles. I wonder what that's going to cost. And I had to keep trying to keep my mind focused. I called him throughout the week, and he couldn't get the part. He had to order a brand-new part. I said, well, what, how much is that? He said, oh, don't worry about it. We'll work it out when you, when we get, when you get here, and which is always, you know, makes you nervous. And, and then I'm, and I'm thinking, okay, God, I, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. You know what? It's, you're, in, you're like on the edge of reality because <laughs> you're saying, I trust you, Lord. But there's that part that's saying, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what's going to, and so I'm, I'm in between there, and I finally, I said, look, I said, you know, I'm headed down, how much do I, he said, we'll work it out when you get here. And man, I'm thinking all this, you know, and I'm, I'm so okay, God, I trust you. When I got there, the guys closed. He told me, he said, look, he said, I, I left your uh, bill on your front seat, and uh, your keys are there. And I thought, oh, man, he didn't even want to look at me when he was billing me. And and so I I go in, I open up the motor home, and I pick up the bill, and I looked over, and it said, paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. (laughs) Paid in full. And I remembered something. He did pay it in full for me. He paid it in full for you. So no matter what's trying to hang over your head and no matter what you're dealing with, you need to know up front, it's been paid for. <laughs> it's been taken care of. <laughs> that he's a God that is faithful and he doesn't forget your labor of love and he's going to take care of you. Somebody say he takes care of us. I see, sometimes we feel like, well, you know, yeah, but nobody really understands what I go through. But the scripture said that we have a high priest That was tempted in like manner as we were. So there's nothing you've experienced that he hasn't felt. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I mean, he didn't go through everything. There's a part in scripture that a lot of people read and they miss. And it says, He was made sin who knew no sin. He wasn't made a sinner, he was made sin. So when he hung on Calvary's cross, he experienced not—he he, he didn't become the junkie, but he experienced the addiction. He felt the sin of it. So there's nothing you've gone through in your life that he hasn't already felt the guilt of it, that he hasn't already felt the burden of it, the, 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 the anxiety and the twisting and the turning of it. And so, it would do us good to look and see how he dealt with things. In passage of Scripture in John, the sixth chapter, there's a crowd that comes up, shows up. And Jesus had just heard some stressful news. He just found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been, the head had been chopped off by Herod, And so, he went to be alone in a mountain place. But all these people show up, and because Jesus has such a heart for people, he went down to minister to their needs. And as he's ministering to them, all of a sudden he realizes they haven't had anything to eat. So he looks at his disciples and he said, "Uh, let's, let's give them something to eat. And Philip said, where are you going to get anything for them to eat, man? We've only got this much in the treasury, and that's not enough to feed all these people. But the Scripture said that Jesus said that to test Philip because he already knew what he was going to do. See, the, the thing that is wearing you out with worry, he already knows what he's going to do, but he's testing you to see if you're going to trust him and keep your eyes and your thoughts focused on him? Or are you going to let the circumstance become more important to you than he is and then begin to claim all your attention and all your anxiety and all your worry and all your energies getting wrapped up in that instead of laying that down and saying, I trust you, God. I praise you. I don't know how you're going to do this, but I know you're going to do it he knew what he was going to do Andrew looked around and he said well, there's a kid here that's got five loaves and two fish but you know that's not gonna feed these folks and he said you cause everybody to sit down you know this is one of the things that we wrestle with it's the following what God is asking you to do when you don't know what he's going to do and that's just the way faith works God doesn't sit down with his blueprint for your life for the next five years and say, okay, here's what we're fixing to do. Just I um, thought I'd let you know. No, you do it one day at a time, trusting him, believing him. And then all of a sudden you see your life unfold over the next five years and find out that he's a whole lot better at taking care of you than you are taking care of yourself. And so he has them set down and he takes those five loaves and two fish and prays over. It. And you know, the disciples got to be thinking, You got to be kidding me, man. What, I mean, we got these people sitting down. They think lunch is coming. We're, we're going to get chewed up here ourselves. And he starts putting that in baskets that they've found and they start passing it out to folks. And, and, and they know that they're getting low and they say, Man, I only got a little bit left. And they turn around and look at that, and the basket they're carrying. It's as full as it was before. And they are thinking, what in the world is going on? They got to participate in a miracle without understanding how the miracle worked. Are you with me? You need to ask yourself a question if you wanna be a spectator or a participator. There were thousands, there were probably between 12 and 15,000 people there that day because we know 5,000 men were there alone, not counting women and children. So there's 12 to 15,000 spectators, but there are 12 participators that are beginning to experience what it's like for a miracle to happen at your hand. I'm not I, I, I'm not the one that multiplied this, but I sure am getting excited passing it out. I, I'm not the one that made it happen, but man, to be a part of it happening uh, is beyond my expectation. I never dreamed uh, that God could take a little boy from a country place uh, and all of a sudden start doing things and it's like, come on somebody, you need to understand that it's not about you, uh, it's all about him and he's big enough, bad enough and rough, and rough enough to get you through whatever it is you're facing. When you choose that quiet place with him and so after all that happens then all of a sudden the people start looking and they're adding two and two together and now wait a minute man we saw what he started with he had five loaves and two fish and everybody around here has got a full belly and I just counted 12 baskets full of leftovers So the the rumor starts going through. The word starts going through that crowd, and they get all worked up. He's that prophet that's supposed to come into the world. He's, He's that prophet. And the next thing you know, man, they are so worked up, they're getting ready to come and take him by force and make him a king. And this is Jesus' response to it all. John 15 Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. (laughs) What? Man, they're getting ready to make you a king. What are you running for? What what are you taking off for? He didn't need them to make him a king. He was already a king. (laughs) But not just a king. He was king of kings and lord of lords. (laughs) To allow them to make him a king would be like painting a brick of gold or or, or painting over a a, a ruby. You're diminishing what already exists. He said, I know what's in man and, and there's nothing good in man. And so he separates himself to a mountain to be alone again. He wants some quiet time because it's quiet time that made the miracle happen. It was that time that he had spent alone with God that had prepared him to feed that multitude. It's that time that we spend alone with God that equips us and prepares us for the day that we're going to the day that's coming before us. He is alone in a mountain. Disciples can't find him and they decide to take off and They jump in a boat to sail across the Sea of Galilee. And if you've never been to Israel, if you've ever been there, you understand that when you stand at the Sea of Galilee, there's a mountain range that surrounds it. So a storm can come up unexpectedly. What happens is a storm whips up over the mountains. The wind comes down that valley, and, man, it will throw that sea into a churning. That's what happened. A gale force winds swept in and started throwing that boat back and forth with those disciples on it. These are fishermen. These people knew that water, and they're fearful for their lives. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes away from that quiet time to deal with their storm. The storm doesn't keep him from walking on the water (laughs) they're in a boat he's just barefoot he's got maybe some sandals on and he's just walking across that water and when they see him they're scared to death and he looked and he said no it's me don't don't be afraid and the Bible said that when they eagerly accepted him into their ship it said immediately they were at land do you get it? Do you understand what happened? Because when he spoke, he, he had spent some quiet time with God. It prepared him to deal with their storm. And for them, the moment they eagerly accepted him into the midst of their storm, their storm stopped. See, some of us stay in turmoil. Because we won't let go of the storm. Some of us stay all worked up because we like being worked up. Some of us can't find peace because we're not seeking the Prince of Peace. We're allowing our circumstances to speak louder to us than the peace speaker. And you've got to say, you know what? I know there's a storm raging, but God, I'm asking you right now to step into the middle of my storm. I I give it to you right now. And the Bible said, "Immediately, it was over." Let me tell you something. You may find, and I can tell you this from personal experience, that I found myself in storms before, in other countries, where things were falling apart, and I needed, I needed an answer from God. And God will get your attention. And I remember one time I went to lay my head. And, against the window on a bus and it was closer than I anticipated and I smacked my head against that window. And it was like God said, hey, I want you to listen to me for a second. He said, quit worrying about this. I'm going to take care of it. And so in that moment, in that moment, I repented before God and I said, God, I trust you. The circumstance was still there, but I had already made a decision to ask God into the middle of my storm. You know what happened? An hour later, I got a phone call, and my storm had completely stopped. Everything that I was struggling with, I, I, they had me hooked up. I couldn't get a break away from this tourist trap I was in. And I couldn't, I couldn't make the connections. And the next thing I know, instead of having to ride a bus with a bunch of tourists, God gave me my own bus. <laughs> I had my own interpreters. I, I was able to break completely away from that group and, and do what God had sent me there to do. But you can't do what God called you to do apart from him you can't be the one in control you've got to let god be in control and when you let god be in control he'll settle everything else around you and we see that he helped them in their storm but what about when jesus found himself in a storm what what about when it was him that was going through the storm you're going to find out that he did the same thing that he did when the disciples were in a storm. He found a quiet place. Let me talk to you about it. It's found in Luke 22. It's the, referred to he's celebrating the feast of the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread. The truth is, is that's going to be the last time it's referred to as that because that night he was going to change how they viewed it. So after this night, it's no longer going to be the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but it became the Last Supper. And he broke bread with them as he had before during this celebration. But this time, when he broke it, he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And they're trying to figure out what, what's that about it? And then he takes the cup and he pours it and he said, Drink this, drink all of it, because this is the New, Test- or the New Testament covenant of my blood which is shed for many, and, and they're drinking, and they're, what's happening? We, they'd never heard those words before. And then he said something that sends them reeling. He said, one of you will betray me. And they all start saying, oh, is it me? Is it, who, who's going to do this? And, and he goes, he takes them to a place called Gethsemane, a garden, and he says, now you stay here and pray. And then he got alone. He went to a quiet place by himself, and he began to pray. These folks fell asleep, but he started to pray. And the prayer was so intense that the Bible said that the sweat came like great drops of blood. Medical science has recorded that a person can be experiencing so much anxiety They can cause the capillaries in the blood system to rupture and you will secrete blood through the sweat glands of your body. He knew what was coming and he's crying out to God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But if not, not my will, but your will be done. And something happens in that garden that a lot of people miss. It's found in... Luke, the 22nd chapter and the 43rd verse. After he'd gone through all of this, it said, then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. In that alone place with God, God sent an angel. When he's in turmoil and he's, he's praying and crying out, God sent an angel to strengthen him. Well, how much strength did that angel bring to him? Well, let's take a look at it. All of a sudden, he looks at his disciples and he said, hey, he's arise, the son of man's been betrayed into the hands of sinners. And Judas comes with, now, here's what really kind of gets next to me because people portray this like Judas showed up with a handful of soldiers. That's not what the scripture said. The scripture said that there were a multitude with him. In another place, it says a band of soldiers. A band of soldiers consisted from anywhere between 400 and 1,000 men. It wasn't a handful of soldiers, a half a dozen soldiers that showed up. It was a multitude that showed up to take him because they were afraid of him. This man had not turned just water into wine. He made deaf hear the lame walk, the blind see, and he rose folks from the dead. And now they're going to arrest him. And he walks out to meet them. And when he walks out to meet the storm that's coming in, and that storm said, he looked at him, he said, who do you serve? Who are you searching for? And the storm declared, we're after you, Jesus of Nazareth. And he stepped up and he said, I am he. And laid all those men on the ground. And the voice that put them on the ground could have put them under the ground. Because he said, I know who I am. And I'm not letting this storm take me out. This storm is not going to stop me. I'm going to speak peace to this storm that didn't happen by accident it happened intentionally because Jesus knew I've got to get alone with God I can't handle this on my own I've got to have some quiet time with God how many of you have ever found yourself just running and 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 running? I tell Debbie a lot of times, and she'll let you know this. I tell her a lot of times, I said, baby, I need a vacation. I said, I've got to get away. But Debbie's like the energizer bunny. Running and running and running and running and running and running and running. And she thrives on it. She loves it. But I spent the last week into some forced quiet time. And I learned something. Don't wait until God has to give you quiet time. Make sure that you're allowing for quiet time with God let me show something to you and I'll end with this because I want you to understand how much he loves us and how much he understands us the scripture said in Zephaniah 3 and 17 the Lord your God in your midst the mighty one will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you with his love he will rejoice over you with singing now i've preached on that before and i'm not going to go into all that i'm going to catch one phrase here and i want you to get it he will quiet you with his love there was a time several years ago when our daughter was about to get married and she planned to go to louisiana to live in louisiana And her mama loves her so much. And when mama found out that she was planning to go to Louisiana, mama was struggling. And she was crying beside me in a bed at night. And I remember, come here a minute. I remember putting my arms around her. And, yeah, it's all right, we're married. I remember holding her. And saying, honey, I should have wore a longer skirt. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help. You. I'm sorry. I, I, I remember saying, honey, I said, you're, you don't know what's going to happen.
1: That's right.
0: I said, you're borrowing trouble. I said, you just need to be at peace. God will take care of all this. I said, these tears may be for no purpose at all. And you know what? God did take care of it. She said, I couldn't
1: live away from you. She
0: said, "I, I couldn't live away from you and dad. And so she stayed. What I'm saying is the Bible says that he will quiet us with his love. And I begin to think about how when a baby is upset, how the mother or father will scoop the baby up in his arms and just begin to hold him. And, Rock, there's no words have to be said. No explanation is needed. And all of a sudden, the baby feels love. And love begins to quiet the baby. You, my friend, are a child of God. You've been made in his image. God made you, and God does not make mistakes regardless of how you came into this world i've heard people say well i you know i came in illegitimate no 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 you're legitimate the people that brought you in are the ones that got illegitimate but you're legitimate you have a purpose and god's got a plan for your life and you're not a mistake but you are the handiwork of god and he wants to quiet you so so when you're experiencing anxiety, when the big bad wolf is standing at the door and he's huffing and puffing, just let him huff and puff and smile and call out, I've built my house upon the rock and it's not going to fall. Would you stand with me today? So this is what I want to do. I, I want to pray with you today. I, if, whatever it is you're facing in life, God wants you to be able to walk through it in peace, knowing that he's in control. I thought about Polycarp. He was a man in his 70s and they told him, they said, you either deny Christ or we're going to put you to death. He told him, well, put me to death because I'm not going to deny Christ. They said, look, you're, you're this old. There's no reason for you to die. Just renounce Christ and, and they'll let you live. He said, I'm not doing it. They said, if you don't, they're going to chop your head off. He said, you do what you think you've got to do. He said, I am not going to denounce Christ. And then they told him, they said, we'll burn you at the stake. And when they said that, Polycarp got excited because he'd had a dream that his, he was on fire. And he looked at him and he said, oh, please, do that. And they looked at him and he said, but I'm asking you what they would do is when they were burning someone at the stake, they would put their hands behind their back and they would nail their hands to the wood beam so that, because the ropes would burn and they would run out of the fire. So they would nail their hands there. And he said, the only thing I ask is, don't, don't nail my hands. You have my word. I will not run." They brought the man of God before a crowd of onlookers, and they tied him to the stake. They stoked the fire around him. And instead of hearing him scream, they heard him start singing praises to God. When they expected to smell the stench of flesh burning. They said it smelled like a sweet perfume coming from the flames. And when they looked, he wasn't burning. The flames had arced over him, and he was in the midst of that fire, just worshiping God. They finally looked and they began to shoot and they shot arrows at him. And, you know, there's only so much blood in a human body. But so much blood ran out of his body that it extinguished the fire that was burning around him. I'm telling you that there's a fountain that flows from Emmanuel's veins. And he, he, do you understand? He, he found peace in the midst of turmoil. I prayed last week and I said God I said if you're done with me I'm okay with that I'm ready to go I said but God I don't feel like you're done with me yet I still feel like there was some stuff I was supposed to do so I'm asking you God you take care of me you I trust you and I'm just asking you to take care of me God will not violate his word. What he promised, he'll bring to pass. You may not understand how he's doing it, but he's going to do it. Amen. If you're in here today and you're ready to let go of some things, you may be in here and you may be struggling with health problems and you're ready to say, God, I just give this to you. Whatever it is, I want you to come right now as they sing this song, and I want to pray with you at the end of the service today. Would you come now? Go ahead.
1: Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Make every stronghold shine through the shadows.
0: not alone one of the things that the devil tries to do is try he, he tries to isolate you with what you're dealing with because he wants you to feel like you're alone you're not alone you are not alone all across this building is family family that believes that God wants the very best for you now you say but you know I, I had a problem with this one or I had a problem with that one look everybody's always had problems with family Welcome to my world. I mean, that's just, you know, I mean, God had problems with his first family, you know, with, with Adam and Eve. And so you, there's just problems. So don't, you know, don't, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't let that get next to you. You know, you figure sooner or later folks are going to straighten out and it's going to be fine. Amen. But the important thing is for you to understand that we're here for each other. And God's here for us together so if you have a chip on your block get it off amen because you can't carry stuff like that and god minister to you you have to get it off everybody say it with me get it off and choose to be at peace with god and one another I always think about folks that don't like me and I think, boy, you got problems, don't you? Because you you're gonna have to love me to go to heaven and and I ain't going anywhere. So you might as well get used to it. God, you Debbie reminded me of this right prior to all this happening. I said there's a shift coming. And shortly after that, I I felt the shift. And it was like God showing me and talking to me about things, about how we move forward in him and how we operate in God. And we operate in a trust and a confidence that God knows what he's doing even when we don't. And you're not going to always know what God is doing. That's where faith comes in. And so he's building our faith and he's building us together. And you need to hear me that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And the devil's trying to stop that. So whenever you feel the turmoil start to rise up, you need to recognize that it's an attack and begin to speak peace over it and say, God, you're bigger than this. And I'm not letting this take me. I'm not letting this have me. I'm choosing to walk in peace. I'm going to walk in love. I had a dream. <laughs> while I was while I was in the hospital, I had a dream and you know that I'd had a situation happen some time ago with the person wasn't too happy with me. And in the dream I grabbed the guy right about the head. <laughs> I woke up and I thought, you don't really want me to do that, God. <laughs> I understood what God was saying to me and he was saying just just let it go just let it go just be at peace and let it go and so I want to pray for you today that you're going to be at peace and you're going to let it go but you're also going to step in and begin to do what God called you to do because as long as the devil's got you second-guessing yourself you'll never move forward, and we've all been called to be a witness. So let's find out how good a witness we can be, all right? Father, we come to you right now, and we thank you for your love and kindness. I'm so grateful and thankful to be standing here today, God, with my family, with friends, God. I pray, Father, that even now, Lord, your hand, God, would reach toward them and begin to heal the hurts, God, and and the misunderstandings and the pain, God, that's in their life. God, that you'll resolve family issues. God, that you'll take care of financial struggles. Father, that you're healing bodies even now, God. Even though we want it to happen yesterday, God, we know that you do everything in your timing. And I don't know why the man sat there for 38 years, but I know that when you came by, all his setting days were over. So God, we rejoice in your presence knowing that you're here with us right now, and we choose to declare it is well in Jesus' name. It is well. Come on, give me a hand clap of praise in this house. God bless you. We love you. Remember the meeting in the conference room for Lynch, Kentucky. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.